0: You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at soundtalentmedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm going to talk to Jordan Harbinger today. Jordan runs a podcast and website and does coaching and everything under the moniker. The art of charm. His podcast is really good. Got a lot of great people on it, and it's one of those podcasts where I don't know. In my words, it's it would be human optimization and and learned skills to do better socially or in business or personally. But it's also quite entertaining. It's and he has a lot of good people, good celebrities, and and things on there. So it's quite entertaining podcast that I would suggest that you check out. And I was glad to have him on today to just see what I could learn from him and break down how he approaches learning and what he's trying to do and how he's built what he has done, because I take a lot from it. I think he does a really good job. And we'll get rolling here in just one second, but I just wanted to remind everybody that I have a Patreon account page, way to support this podcast, and I would urge you, if you listen to this podcast regularly and feel like you get some value out of it, to join our community and support it directly. I think it's the best way to encourage and support media that you want to exist to happen, to continue and to develop. I think if we take that mindset of, of the direct approach of getting the things that we want built and supported in the world, we'll be less controlled by, you know, big business and the man and, and all that stuff. And I think it's just the tip of the iceberg where all the, where this stuff is headed as far as direct uh, support for stuff through, especially in the future, I think when we get to cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, and I think there's micropayments and stuff like that. I think we're going to open up a whole new world of a Amazing content that just never doesn't even exist yet that that we're going to love. So let's get in the habit of, uh, I think, of paying for things that you like when you have the ability to control that versus getting fed stuff from, you know, the big algorithms and studios and TV networks, you know, that kind of thing. Also, my band, Emory, if you don't know, I'm in a band called Emory, it's got tour dates. We'll be down the West Coast at the end of July and go to emorymusic.com. For that, Uh, my website is BreakItDownPod.com, if I forgot to mention that. You'll find it over there. And I have another way to support the show is you can click on my Amazon link there and shop on Amazon.com. And anything you buy there, you bookmark it, buy your guitar strings, diapers, whatever it is, that'll help support this show as well. And if you don't want to support the show with money, that is totally no problem. I would, how about this? Maybe just tell a friend or leave me a rating or review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts That would be quite helpful And then another tip for you guys You might want to check out the Tooth and Nail podcast If you haven't yet That is going really well We have an episode coming up now uh, About As Cities burn That I think turned out really well uh, That podcast is going great um, Thank you everybody for the feedback That's another project I've been working on So uh, I hope you guys like it Check that one out And rock on Alright, I'm going to talk to Jordan Harbinger Thank you, da, da, da break it down oh break it down break it down oh break it down break it down oh break it So, Jordan, it is 4th of July for real, and we're in our yeah. studios doing a podcast. So, uh, I'm only doing it because this is a date you suggested, or I probably would have taken the day off. But, what, what's it with you working, <laughs> uh, wanting to work and, and grinding through a holiday like this just to do my uh, podcast a, of all things?
1: That's right. Yeah. This morning, got up early, warmed up my voice, recorded my fan mail episode for Fan Mail Friday where I answer listener questions. Did a uh, Minnesota Monday where I offer a quick practical tip, recorded a bunch of commercials. Now I'm on your show. After this, I got to go through um, my PR list with my assistant. I got two hours of Chinese lessons. I'm going to go work out. Oh, then come on. I got to record a video, uh, and then I've got to record a couple more commercials, and then I'll be done at dinner, and like, I can eat a burger or a hot dog.
0: And why... I mean, what is that's not is that normal? And you just don't take off for the holiday, or you just try to cram a bunch of stuff in the holiday? Then, well, that stuff would have to come at another time mm-hmm.
1: during my work week. You can imagine what my work week looks like if this is my Fourth of July.
0: All right, so the, I mean, you know, this isn't just small talk here. I'm kind of curious about this amount of of drive. I mean, I basically picked up on it pretty quickly <laughs> listening to your podcast when I first found it, which I don't remember how long ago it was. But I'm kind of uh, trying to understand. You know What I do on this podcast is try to understand people. I learn really well from just analyzing stuff, figuring out how it works, and then I'm attracted to the things that I think will help me in the end. That's how I learn Mm. music and verbal stuff is the same way. I just kind of pay attention and I retain the information that I think may be useful later. But you stick out to me um, as somebody who's doing a whole bunch of stuff at a pretty accelerated rate, accomplishing a lot, and I'm just kind of curious what's behind that.
1: I don't know. I think when I was a kid, I wasted a lot of time watching TV. And now that I have something I actually want to do, it's like it can't happen fast enough, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Well, So I'd I'm much rather get it done and work and work and work. And it's not, it's not like if somebody went, hey, we're doing something really cool for 4th of July and it's really convenient nearby, you should come join us. I have people who are like, yeah, come over later maybe and... Get a hot dog. I'm like, okay. Well, I could do a lot more with my day. And then I asked Jen what she wanted to do, and she was like, I don't care. You know, the mall's gonna be packed, mm-hmm. outside's gonna be packed. And it's since we work from home, I could take tomorrow off, you know, if I wanted to. But I bet and you won't. <laughs> I won't. I will not. <laughs> but I could you I know, mean, I could take off another time, and then I don't have to worry about doing the same time off as everybody else at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll watch fireworks tonight. I'm not gonna be all like checking my email during that. I'll go up on my roof and do that. I might, you know, go to a friend's and have a barbecue, but might as well have a productive morning.
0: Yeah, I, I hear that. So have you always been uh, focused and dedicated to the thing at hand? Was that something you discovered in childhood or, or later in life?
1: Um, Have I, I? I've always been a guy who goes deep dive on everything. Mm-hmm. You know, that's for sure. And, but I don't know if I've been dedicated or focused. I've been more like, intense yeah this though is more long-term it's a it's a grown-up project you know it's a business art Mm -hmm. of charm so that's been a little bit more i think more of a long-term thing that requires good work habits Mm
0: -hmm. what uh what were the things that your intensity was channeled towards when you were 13 or good 15 anything
1: i was always looking on i grew up Right when the internet first started, it, before the World Wide Web. So that that gives you an idea of yeah. kind of like what I was doing. So I was always chatting online with foreign people and trying to read things like on the internet, figure out how the internet worked. And I liked screwing around with the phone system. That got me in trouble here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? I liked making things and taking things apart, like a, taking electronics apart.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too
1: um that's pretty much it. that's what i remember you know as a kid
0: yeah it's not and i'm just identifying with you it's not about me but i was the that was completely into figuring out how stuff worked and hooking up the stereo and you know having my yeah. my dad not understand how to hook up the nintendo and i could at an early age i thought this is this makes sense you know i, I was yeah. uh, gratified by the fact that i could figure stuff out that didn't necessarily have instructions or take it apart or whatever but how did you, how did that uh suit you in school how did well, you I do gotta in say, in
1: in fairness to your dad, the original Nintendo was really hard to hook up <laughs> no, to the TV. It
0: was not. it had a <laughs> little coax like, thing and with a screwed into the coax, and that's about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it had a power plug. Like some people had those converters where you had to unscrew the mm-hmm. the screws on the back of the TV and yep. use those like little. Oh yes, you're it,
0: right. So it had that VHF it, little thing where you had to take the, yeah. the two screws and put the little lock things on it to get it to work that is right I remember that that was hard and then you
1: gotta screw it into the coax and if you have like a cable box you gotta buy a switch at Radio Shack that goes between cable and game or whatever that's right and then you got to run it to the Nintendo, yeah.
0: That, that was my wavelength. But yeah, it irritated my father. Also, I thought it was pretty good encouragement. Uh, like, he was probably just being lazy or just, he may have been exaggerating that he couldn't figure it out, but it gave me a lot of confidence at an early age that I know how to do stuff like this, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, but how, did, how, did, how was school for
1: you then? Terrible. I was so bored in school. Mm. And that manifested in me not wanting to be there. And that manifested in me feeling feeling uncomfortable there. Mm-hmm. And it manifested in me getting in trouble with teachers because I wasn't paying attention and they thought I didn't care. And then, you know, on top of that, I'm bringing things to school that are like, A camera flash that I disassembled so I have the capacitor leads sticking out. And the leads, you know, generate 150 volts or 280 volts of electricity. So I'm touching these copper leads to metal objects in school and it's making a (laughs) loud pop, you know. And the teachers are like, I feel like you can't have that, but you made it. It's electronic, but I don't really know why you can't have that, but you can't have that. And then the shop teacher came around and was like, look, this is cool. You made an arc welder. That's why the copper is sticking to the metal doorknobs everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I see the little copper things on the doorknobs. But here's the problem. If someone touches those, they could die. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, that's a lot of current. It can stop a heart, including yours, if you touch it by mistake. And he goes, I'm not going to tell you to give it to me, but I will say you should stop using that thing. And I thought, okay, that's a, that's a wise teacher right there. And I stopped using that. But I always used to do stuff like that. And you know, before, I think his name was Butchko. Before Mr Mr Bushko would find me and stop me with whatever I was doing, you know, that I'd piss off the math teacher or the principal or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, there was always something so, like that.
0: So so uh, after high school then did you do college or what what how, when did you find uh when did you figure out how to learn and do the stuff you, you wanted? Did you ever fit, fit into any formal education? Uh I did. I went to college and then I went to law school. Okay. So you figured it so you figured out how to work in that system of, at some point then.
1: Yeah, it was interesting because I really did I I really was not fitting into the system during my what do you call it, primary education. Mm-hmm. I was not fitting in at all. <laughs> and then I when I was an adult, I was like, all right, I can work hard so I can sort of like shoehorn myself in here, mm-hmm. which is really not actually a good way to live your life. You don't really want to be you don't really want to be Constantly figuring out how to fit into a system if it's not going to serve you at all. But, uh, you know, I went to law school because I was able to work hard and I was able to sort of be smart here and there and, Mm -hmm. you know, focus. And that turned out to be, you know, really useful in law school. So I worked in law school. I tried out. I wasn't smarter than everybody. So I outworked everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, I graduated in the top of the class. And that was important. That was important to me to, to do that.
0: Okay, so how come you're not a lawyer then? Um, I didn't like it at all,
1: and I knew <laughs> going into it that I wasn't really going to be a lawyer. I just, yeah, you know, I just did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was okay for a minute, but it really wasn't a good fit for me. It mm-hmm. it wasn't. It was just was not like a. It wasn't something. It felt like I was. It was only a matter of time till I get fired. I don't want to be here. I don't mm-hmm. want to stay here. And there's got to be something better. I just don't know what it is.
0: Yeah, I had a similar, I mean, I didn't finish all the way through with that, but I started in, uh, I, I had a terrible time in school. And then I had a biology teacher that was really smart, and I could just sit and listen to him and understood it and could pass all the tests. I thought that was great. So I went into pre-med, went to biology at college, and was doing top of my class there. Then I got in the labs and realized what that job is if you get a biology degree, oh. what that's going to be like, and I, I quit immediately. As soon as I figured out I'm going to be writing down you know, the meticulous nature of what Doing science like that really is, and how sure. it's going to work out. I said, that is that I am out of here. And I went to do music. So I found college to uh, to be a a really useful time because uh, it was kind of I went to a music school, and music was kind of easy for me. It made sense. And so I didn't have to think much about the schoolwork. To pass the test, but I was able to spend my whole college years basically just self-directed learning at music, figuring stuff out, learning to record, you know, just doing all the stuff that I, that I was really, really yeah. interested in, sure. and uh, that was really useful to me. So you must have figured out something about being self-directed, learning, and self-orienting your goals pretty quickly after law school. How long till you figured this stuff out that you wanted to well, do?
1: When I was in law school, I started the Art of Charm mm-hmm. with my friend, and who's now my oh, business okay. partner, AJ. Yeah, so we started this in law school... And then during law school, well, I mean, he was a cancer biologist, speaking of biology. Mm-hmm. And then what happened after that? At that point, there, wa- there was a point at which the economy started to go downhill and our business at Art of Charm started to go up. So I was just like, oh, this is a good cue for me to bounce. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened.
0: And so did you know what the Art of Charm was supposed to be? Did you visualize this at that time?
1: No, of course not. No, it was about you know going out and meeting people and being social and meeting women and stuff like that. I was 25, 27, maybe.
0: But you were trying to. I mean, you were you were saying you were being successful making money though and stuff. What was the the, the was the what was the goal of the of the pot? Were you trying to earn money, and make it your career though? Also.
1: Oh no, I wasn't. I didn't even think about it. I just thought, hey, this will be fun for a while. You know, mm-hmm. this will be a fun thing to do for a little bit, and then. I'll be good to go. I'll figure out something else. So the economy will rebound. And I'll go back to being a lawyer, maybe, which I know I don't want to do. But then I'll that'll buy me time to think of something else. It was how I was that was kind of my that was kind of my plan at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So did uh, did you think of it as do do you think now in longer term goals or you still just do what comes to you at the time? Um, good
1: question. I'm struggling I little, in that
0: area personally. I realize I ain't got no long term goals. I'm always doing what's right in front of me. I, I begin uh, to think about a year ahead, and that's about it. <laughs> but,
1: oh, I definitely have longer term goals. Yeah. Than that. I thought you meant like my whole life plan. I don't know. Not even just
0: that. Just even with Art of Charm, like thinking four years down the road. Like, well, I, you know, I, I think about that every day. Podcasting, I'm, I go, is this going to be a thing? Like, is, I, for right now, all I do is release music and podcasts. I do a, fun, a bunch of different ones, but. This may not be here in five years, right? What might not be here in Podcasting. five years? Podcasting. Yeah,
1: maybe. It might be something else.
0: I mean, things change no matter what in entertainment. So, you know, what are we going to do next?
1: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say podcasts are going anywhere. They've been around for 10 years, mm-hmm. and they're getting more popular. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like, something, if they're gone, something would replace it mm-hmm. that is probably very similar. Mm-hmm.
0: No, I agree. You know. I agree. And I like the format and everything, but even just the nature of of media and entertainment, even the the shows that are popular, the, the taste may change as far as what people are into. Do you know yeah. like do you see yourself doing fan mail Friday in eight years from now? Who knows? Yeah Yeah. I don't know. So you don't Possibly. you're not necessarily you I mean you you're you're are you thinking about just being flexible and responsive? Is is what I'm saying? The other of course, that's kind yeah, of more think, of my approach is well, whatever yeah. it is, I'll go that way. Maybe yeah, something we do, don't even know about yet.
1: I would say don't confuse being flexible and responsive with mm-hmm. not having a plan. Got it. You know that's, that's good. those are two very different things, and one certainly sounds like an excuse for for the other.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's I'm being true. flexible. No, you're laying on the couch. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that that is certainly true. So it seems like it's uh you know, you say advanced social skills. Is that the basic quick way to say what Art of Charm is? Yeah, we
1: teach social intelligence in a way that anybody can learn and understand. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is, you know, we study the thoughts, the actions, the habits of brilliant people, ask them what I hope are interesting questions, so that the people who are listening can apply that same wisdom for themselves. So we take other people's superpowers, we deliver those superpowers mm-hmm. to you. But, um, you know, it's it really is
0: about that emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And so do you have an actual working definition for the word charm? It may just be the title that no. has evolved over time, but do, you, do you, you don't think about that word itself very much.
1: Nah, never. I, I never do. People are always like, what do you define charm? And then right. I have
0: to, like, you
1: know, Google it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, it's getting the answer without having to ask the question or some stupid Mm -hmm. cliche from like an Audrey Hepburn movie. But it doesn't mean anything to me personally.
0: Yeah, well, it seems, to, the only thing, uh, yeah, I agree with all that, but uh, I think I mentioned this to you on the Bad Christian podcast, but I grew up in the South, and so to me, when I think of the word- I can
1: tell <laughs> I by the accent. Can. I know you Gives can. Gives it
0: away every time. People, people throw that word at me a lot, which is not necessarily a thing I define or whatever, but they just think, since I have a Southern accent, they say, oh, you're charming, or you're used in your charm, ah. they will always say to me. And I realize that that is possibly true. Like, I, I have retained, I, I've lived in Seattle for- you know, 17 years and this is still what I talk like. So it must be some form of effectiveness that has kept me from shedding it. My little sisters live in New York and Minneapolis and hers is gone. I think she's embarrassed about it. But um, I find that the people in the South, to me, I find them to be very, very charming. And then I travel other places and I go, oh, they're not, they're not charming. I, I don't know if it's a thing I associate with the South or whatever, or have learned. But do you think there's anything to that, the regional component of that? Sure, probably.
1: I mean, look, people find the accent charming because we our, our experience is is main mainstream media or non mainstream media. You know, if 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 you live in the South in a poor area, you probably don't find it charming because you associate it with mm-hmm. people who live in a car that's propped up on cinder blocks and have you know clan meetings on you know Thursday nights at a VFW or something, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that's not charming for people who live in areas where that's their reality. So it's just you have the advantage of programming, society's programming people to find that that charming. But you know the the other thing is people don't necessarily find it sophisticated no, in many don't. ways. <laughs> no, they
0: don't. So
1: so that's the downside that I think because mm-hmm. I'm sure your sister in New York meets people all the time. They're like, oh, you should have kept your accent. And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, that's what guys who are trying to sleep with me say all the time. Mm-hmm. But when I'm tr- I'm trying to get promoted at work, so right. no thanks because if I come in and I say. Hey, y'all, I got a great idea for this Pepsi advertising campaign. Hey, that's campaign. not bad.
0: Most people do a terrible southern accent. It gets oh, they all do on the my twangy. nerves, but yours isn't that bad.
1: Yeah, my mine is just from television. Well, still, uh, that's
0: really good. Most people do a terrible job, so congrats. Have you thought about that much before? That's My decent. accent? No, yeah. it just
1: came out. No, and that's, in fact, that's pretty good.
0: Complete autopilot. Um,
1: But yeah, most people might not, and it's subconscious, that's the thing, mm-hmm. right? So your sister might have been a little bit ashamed of it at first, or she might have been not caring at all at first, or she might have gotten over it. But then you start to see the results of what happens when you talk to people in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And that becomes problematic, area, yeah. right? That becomes problematic because if you if you start to notice that people start calling you sugar and
0: not taking you seriously when you speak with your <laughs> home <laughs> accent, you're going to get
1: rid of that accent pretty quick.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, for, without a doubt, people. Uh, I'll put it this way: uh, people underestimate your intelligence, which sometimes can be to your advantage. You know, like sure. you disarm. You know, you can get pretty far with people, and you know, it's it seems to work enough for me. But it, it's uh, I am a slightly disqualified. I think sometimes people. Think, but I don't know. If people hang around me for a little bit, they'll figure out if I'm smart or not. But
1: what well, you're in a band, though, I like know. you don't have to be a freaking rocket scientist. Nah, and I'm that. not. Now that sounds a little insulting, <laughs> no, but
0: right. you could literally you could be as
1: dumb as you want, mm-hmm. man, and you still can play music. That's true. That is huh. true. But the uh,
0: the other thing about it is that you know when you get. I, the The social thing about being in the South that I find crazy is that people just that they they think it's nice and charming and funny until that they, they worry, wait a second, I suppose this guy's a racist though that's that's always along for the ride. <laughs> just to, if race comes up that yeah people get, like if I make any joke that you could make or anybody else makes people say what? Hold on yeah. now. Yeah. That's, that's
1: a great guy, except for that thing he has, that problem he has with Jews.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> like, people what? in the South don't care about Jews. That, <laughs> oh, no, that's passe.
1: <laughs> that's a, that's that's too passe, right? But now it's Not even on the that, radar.
0: I mean, I know that's weird, but it's just like I, growing up, all I ever heard on the playground was racial slurs. That was just common. But really? No, nothing Dang. about Jews. I never even knew anything about Jews. We didn't know, we didn't know anything about them.
1: <laughs> you don't know, have those. I met people from the South that were like, you're the first Jewish person I ever met. I'm like, well, you know, my grandma's Jewish. I'm not really, you know, I'm kind of like not really in there. And there was somebody I met that, that actually thought, um, Jews had horns in the past. And since they used to have horns, now we have bumps on our head where the horns used to be, (laughs) but now we don't have them anymore because we live in modern society. And I was like, you work at a, You work in a city with other people that should have informed you that that is not the case anymore. I I mean, this person was not an attorney, but they were still, they they had gainful employment.
0: No, we literally had no, I didn't even know anything about Jews. Like, I had heard about them on TV, I guess, but I didn't know what they were. <laughs> you know. got to have something in front of you to be, you know, to to dislike or hate or be racist against, I think. If you don't experience with, I guess if you wound up experience that you would, but we were, I tell you what, Jews might have gone in the general camp of Yankee to the, to the Southern uh, person. Ah, definitely. Group. So it's just, definitely. oh, Yankees, these New York people, these New Jersey people, that come down here, they're this and that. I guess Jews were probably in that category for us, but we, yeah, didn't, we didn't single them out. <laughs> so you had, you had, Slurs against Jews, they were just lumped in with slurs just against other groups. Anybody of people. that lived north of us we didn't like. In a way,
1: that's sort of the ultimate slur. Like you don't even give them your their you don't even give us your own slur. Uh, You're right. just like, no, we just lump you in with everybody else we don't like. You're yeah. just in the general category. The, the not
0: us category. <laughs> yeah. You don't even get a special one. That's right.
1: You just have to be just other boring white people that we think are hoity toity and pretentious.
0: Damn. That's right. That's cold. Uh, so if it's social stuff that you're interested in and advanced social skills, do you spend much time thinking about the future of social interaction being obviously technology based? I don't spend
1: that much time to, uh, thinking about that. I, I spend I think probably because I spend more time in it, right? You know I'm mm-hmm. I am online. I am marketing digitally. I am talking in a platform that uses the internet. I am on a microphone, et cetera. So I think that's probably why. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about how to text better because since I'm thinking about communication in general, I don't have to make it specialized. I think at the point at which you start saying things like communication online, you know, you see yeah, these things yes. from like baby boomers and you realize <laughs> right. that they're so out of touch that they don't realize that all communication right now is basically online. Right. And the rest of it is in person, but the percentage of communication that is online, like That's you don't exactly even need right. to say, you That's know, people exactly in that. their thirties and, and under, we don't have to specify online communication. We don't say netiquette. Right. When's the last time you used that word? Right. Well, netiquette. You mean etiquette? Yeah, for everything I do that's that not way. in front of you?
0: That's right. Even the, the word virtual and the word online, both are almost, they just disappear. So at first they're tagged as, oh, a, oh you're on virtual this or that. And virtual shopping, online shopping. And then it's like, what well, do you mean? I'm just shopping. I mean, it's not, right. It, it, that disappears, which if you project that farther into the future, it gets really freaky, of course, because you're like, oh, yeah. simulations, virtual worlds. and And they're just, they're not virtual. They're just world. It's just right in the world so your answer that's really interesting you're saying that in social skills it's just the it's just the water you're swimming in so it does it doesn't differentiate from in person or whatever
1: yeah, I mean nobody's like, hang on, I'm doing e-commerce, I'll be right there. Yeah,
0: you know? <laughs> that's right. There's
1: nobody doing that.
0: But on the other hand, there's still a lot of nuances to to the different forms. So like, if you spend a lot of your time thinking about, or for instance, for for instance, I'm highly verbal, so I'm great on the phone. I'm pretty good in this format, face to face. I'm good mm-hmm. at reading people. When you put me in email, I'm having a harder time. It's considerably different yeah. and there are different etiquettes or rules or strategies that are effective you don't you don't uh, think spend any time on thinking about that it just all blurs together for you
1: yeah i mean i think that you're right there is still a there is still a separation for example if i say i work i'm a marketer you don't think oh he must create things for the internet you might think that's part of it, but generally, you think I work in an office and I make billboards and magazines. Mm-hmm. And like, if you're my age, thirty-seven, that's what comes to mind first. Maybe, maybe people who are twenty-one are like, "Yeah, you mean you create infographics and do social media?" I mean, mm-hmm. I have—I I don't know how that that shakes out with people of other who are younger, like at the tail end of the millennial generation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think for most of us, when when I think communication, yeah, I'm thinking email, Facebook. Texting, I'm not necessarily thinking, oh well they miss they must mean when I'm talking in person, because talking in person is so much more rare than talking online this, yeah. or on the phone. Mm-hmm. I mean it's i don't I bet you there's a percentage sort of shake up of how much communication is done in person versus online. should should we find this
0: if you if you got it up, I can l- look orva can look it up. I don't think I can multitask, but if you can, feel free.
1: Okay, um, let me see here.
0: So the a percentage of communication that has shifted to non in person basically is what we're looking for.
1: I'm just wondering what communication. Yeah, what is on in person and online? You know, what percentage is is texting? What percentage mm-hmm. is communication that is uh, in person? What percentage is online? So, I, I mean, there's got to be a pie chart. Yeah, there somewhere. has to, and it
0: has to have shifted obviously dramatically for sure. Um, but you know, it is still like, I have a really hard time. What is your preferred? I mean, what is the best way you want people to text you? For instance, is that your thing? Or do you like to get on the telephone? Nobody likes to be on the telephone anymore, but I certainly. No, I
1: hate being on the phone. Uh, I would say texting and I know that that's antisocial and I don't care Mm -hmm. what other people's opinions are really about it, but the, the talking with other people is by far my least favorite function of any smartphone mm-hmm.
0: that whole that seems to that be uh, predominant for people at least younger than than I am. i'm I'm a little bit older than you. I don't know if that has to do with it or It's just the type of person that I am. I'm sure my father likes the phone better than text too. But I don't know if it's that or just me, but it's something about, uh, I mean, I I prefer being on the phone because uh, I was listening to you and Scott Adams talk, which I like Scott Adams a lot. But a lot of the stuff kind of revolves around persuasion, you know? And mm-hmm. I feel a lot more persuasive verbally than I do with a few— I mean, aren't you limited in how to persuade somebody on a, on a short-form text message? I feel like my tools are taken away. Maybe,
1: or maybe— maybe it's easier because their mind is filling in the blanks. I think it just takes Mm -hmm. a different set of skills, you know, but yeah, if you're trying to get somebody to take action, they can just put their phone down if it's texting, but if they're in front of you, yeah, you could sell them, you know, you can watch them. There's social pressure Mm -hmm. that's not there in other areas, but, uh, I think for, for most other conversations, it's fine. You know, you can send a, a text and it looks very matter of factly and they keep rereading it and there it sits, Doing persuade, you know, persuading them without you even being there. So it just True. sort of depends on what different. you're trying to do. No, yeah. you're
0: right. I guess everything, all those things are different. And one of the principles I try to tell, tell myself as a person, like I said, I think there's a little bit of a generation change from people that grew up, like you had the internet. Uh, how old are you, if you don't mind Mommy asking. 37. Oh, I'm 37 too. So you must have okay. lived in a place where you had more technology than I did. I grew up in the woods, but that's all. Yeah. But uh, so you grew up with the internet around? Like your Um, own copy and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I got a computer when I was like Mm thirteen and I immediately was like, I need a modem. I gotta figure out how to get a modem. So I went and got a modem and it was awesome. You know, I went online, I found pirate bulletin board systems with pirated software and started talking with all those guys, got all kinds of inside now. It was awesome. It was a portal to another world that was far more interesting Mm -hmm. than what I was currently experiencing. Which is
0: where were you? Where did you grow up?
1: Michigan. Oh, I grew Michigan. up in
0: Michigan. Okay.
1: Yeah, my friend got a computer, and my computer at home was n- no longer doing the trick. I had an Apple IIc, which is like mm-hmm. old as hell. Mm-hmm. And so then my parents were like, "Fine, we'll get a new one." And so I got a new one, and I just got obsessed with it.
0: Yeah, that makes yeah that that makes sense. So, but the thing that I think is interesting is the divide that I, and if you're my age, you'll you'll probably see this too. The people that stayed in Michigan that. Uh, they, I imagine they do vinyl siding now and things like that, whatever it is that they do. Yeah. People went to your high school, um, people that took the shop class, whatever it was, but uh, the people didn't move out or move on or whatever. Those people to me seem like they're in grave danger of not adopting technology. Like you, your younger people seem to have no issue at all. They seem to adopt each new platform as it comes intuitively because they know it's fundamental. But the people, a lot of people that we went to high school with didn't, they didn't register technology till later, and they still do think shopping on Amazon is weird or for the kids, you know. And I think that's going to be really—it's going to really interesting that 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 the, uh, you know. I think you have to force yourself to adopt new technologies, or you really run the risk of being, you know, lame duck, the old generation. It was funny when my grandma didn't know how to email. It's not going to be funny when you're forty-five and still hadn't picked up online shopping.
1: That oh yeah, that's. <laughs> then, yeah, it becomes a huge problem for a lot of people. I noticed that there's a lot of people that really don't seem to find it urgent to adapt to modern communication. And I just feel like we do that at our own peril, really exclusively at our own peril. And for me, that's a little bit of a mystery. I don't understand why someone would do that to themselves. I think it's just such a horrible, horrible idea to Mm -hmm. to, to really not be able to figure out and not, not even try to figure out modern communication. It just seems like... I, I don't understand why people do that. It's I really have no certainly
0: clue. at their peril, but it's the it's the impulse. I don't know, maybe you don't identify with it, but sometimes I have the impulse where I say, oh, the Snapchat, whatever, that's just... That one's not for me. Whatever. I'll. Let, this is just. You know. I'm. I, I'm out here. I'll stick with what I know. You know. It almost is a little bit satisfying or gratifying. Or you make yourself feel better by insulting. Well, those kids. They're doing the whatever it is. Yeah. But you know. I remember when Twitter came out. I thought, well, that's that's for like girls or something. That's dumb. It's some You know. You, you, that's the first thing is to chat up say something bad about the thing you don't understand i think is the impulse but it's if, when it comes to technology it's the wrong it probably is the wrong impulse for everything to you know ha- poke fun of a thing you don't understand immediately but i of think course. that's what's behind it
1: of course that's funny you thought twitter was for girls i don't know that i just was your like thing? My,
0: my wife told me about it and it just had this little birdie thing and i'm like well and I'm, i mean i was way too late on that and i, I learned that lesson i was like whoa you know, I was like, ah, that looks like some silly thing that you, I, I just, I didn't, it wasn't like I really thought it was, I didn't investigate it enough. I'd, she just said it was, I thought it had a feminine, I mean, which, who cares anyway, but I thought it had a feminine name and my wife was into it talking to her friends or something like that. And I thought, well, doesn't seem important to me, but I should, you know, I was way too late on that one. And I was like, okay, I'll just pay attention from now on things. you know. Well, when did you get Twitter? Oh, I mean, not that late, but probably three years too late. And then I felt like I was playing catch up or, or whatever after that, so. Not a big deal, but that was just an example to me. of our, our, My first impulse was make fun of that thing that she was doing, is what I'm saying. Gotcha. And then okay. I realized, oh, wait, that is the wrong attitude. So um, the the antidote for that is something else that you said, I think, last time we spoke, which was about internalizing things or being introspective, which is the other other quality that people tend to lack. Do you find yeah. introspection to be one of the most important things?
1: I do find it important. I think it's extremely important to be somebody who's constantly looking at areas in which you can become better or that you should become better Mm -hmm. and i think people stop growing a lot of the time when they're young because they don't do this they don't think how can i figure out how to make myself better in some way do something that's gonna have a long-term value because really you're you know you're investing in yourself and investing is just the whole point is, it pays off later on down the line in a way that's bigger mm. than you could do over any shorter amount of time. Yes. So, I don't know why you would not want to do, not want to invest in yourself. And the way that you invest in yourself is only through introspection. I mean, you can only find what you need by being introspective. So, I I can think of few things that have a higher return on investment for time, thinking about what you really want and how you can get it. Mm-hmm. By by deserving it, by becoming a person who deserves or is capable of creating what you want, I just I don't understand why people wouldn't do that. And I see that some people have fear of doing that; they don't like what they see. But it's kind of like saying, "Man, this roof is gonna collapse any time. What I should definitely <laughs> do is." Is probably paint over that big hole because, yeah, man, I'm sick of looking at that. I'll put a poster over it. Or get, you know, the
0: the defensiveness is what I see as the enemy to introspection. But it's like, yeah, it's somebody else's fault or whatever. Like when you blame shifting is every time you, I'd say every time you make an excuse and every time you engage in pure defensiveness, you're robbing yourself of of opportunity to learn something or grow or do something better, you know? Like I was sending, uh, I, I have, when I send these files of the podcast to edit. Uh sometimes something'll get out of order or not the right thing and I somebody says, "Well, you got to you got to get get the whose fault is that?" And Well, the person that edited it, whatever it is did, did it wrong and that's like, "Well, let me resist that temptation. Is there something I could do? And it's oh yeah, I know. I will clearly label the files. I'll take the extra time. I'll make it dummy proof for them. And now I've developed that habit. And you know what? Definitely not their fault. My fault. You know I don't just you know you can't put it on other people. Every time you do or make an excuse or say well it doesn't matter or it's their fault, then you've robbed yourself of 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 a moment of discipline or introspection or you know taking the step in the right direction of improving yourself. You know what I mean?
1: Well, yeah, especially think about like. Well, that's like extreme ownership. You ever heard of that? that book? No, but extreme I like the ownership. sound of it. Extreme ownership is a. My friend is a Navy SEAL and is Jocko, and he he wrote this book called Extreme Ownership, and it's it's awesome. It's a oh, Jocko book Willink. That, yeah, I know. Him. Yeah. I don't
0: have his book though, but yeah.
1: You got to get that book, man. Yeah, we'll do it's a it's a book that it, one chapter will be a war story that applies this principle, and then the next chapter is them teaching it to some corporate people how to use it mm-hmm. or whatever. and it's amazing. and extreme ownership concept is essentially in any organization, especially like the seals, where the the consequences are death or like torture mm-hmm. or something if you screw it up, the idea is let's let's say you have to look for wherever the the in your the organization that something is something that could be your fault so mm-hmm. to speak right. or within your control. Yes. So it's really easy to go, man, you know, my editor screwed this up and released the wrong file. That's easy, but it doesn't solve the problem. What's harder is to say, my editor released the wrong file because I didn't label the files clearly right. enough so he got the wrong file to edit. And then nobody checked the final product, so I should probably do a quick 30-second pass-through you know, using the scrubber to listen to the file and just make sure it's the right one with the right content in it, and then that way I can fix this going forward and it'll never happen again. So that in, in that I did not do that, that part mm-hmm. is my fault, and I can fix that next time. It doesn't mean that other people don't share blame. It just means that that part is mostly irrelevant mm-hmm. for your purposes. Yeah, it's It's got to be something that you control and that you accept responsibility over. And it, it's great because you, t- you can really take it to the extreme where it's like, I can't believe that guy broke in here and stole my laptop. What the hell? That guy's awful. Like, he should go to prison. This neighborhood's gone to crap. Right. Okay. Well, I left the laptop out and, you know, I go to coffee shops and I leave my laptop there. So I'm I'm relatively careless with this laptop. It shouldn't be a big deal cuz I should have insurance on it, but I didn't bother doing that cuz I assumed it would never get stolen, which is foolish because people steal things. Yeah, certainly and- somebody
0: else's fault, but
1: yeah, it's yeah. like what part of it is your fault? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's only 0.0001% your fault. Okay, we'll focus on that.
0: Focus on that Not, exactly. You
1: know, oh, you didn't lock your door, so somebody had an easy time breaking in. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing you can really do a lot to improve your life and your business and your family life and the relationships you have with other people instead of just saying, "Ah, Jenny's always late." You know, she's such a jerk. Mm-hmm. She's always late. All right, well, then tell her that you don't you, have you had a conversation that you're not going to put up with this anymore well no it's not my responsibility blah blah yes it is yeah it is or how about you stop being friends with Jenny Oh, uh, well, you know. Yeah,
0: I know. You'd rather complain. And I get And keep things the same and continue to complain. That's your choice. Exactly. Yeah. So the, mm-hmm. the I, I got to read the book. You're right. But so the, the one of the ways that I view that is just from pragm- – I don't think of things as utilitarian pragmatic efficiency. That's just my general mode. But if other people have stuff wrong with them, is that true? Yeah, of course it is. Everybody does. My wife all the way down to everybody in the world that you interact with, they got stuff wrong with them. So. your choice is to try to change them or you. I mean, both are paths to improvement and I would like to see growth in the people that I'm closest to. So good, I hope they improve. I hope they deal with their issues. I hope I can be a part of that. But still more effective is working on myself. I'm 100% me. That's the thing I can change. And the the antithesis of it is getting mad. I love it when people get mad at other people in traffic. And then they spend the time and energy yelling, beeping, trying to explain to them with hand motions what they've done wrong or something like that, as if that will ever matter. As if you'll ever encounter that driver at this intersection. again. Like, how wasted of time is that? It's like you're trying to correct somebody who's not going to be corrected, who you'll never see again, and you are not improving your situation whatsoever, but it's people's sense of justice or they want to correct them or whatever it is but it's just completely inconsequential You, but you have some opportunity to change 0.1% of what you do in the car which will apply all the time because it's you so don't worry it's not that effective to fix other people we know that it's not gonna work so all you got left is you to fix
1: I love how you describe it as hand motions. There's only one hand motion that people are using <laughs> to describe when they're frustrated on the road. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it it is totally ridiculous. There's a video that I saw that had millions of views, I want to say, and the reason it had millions of views, it was a motorcyclist that were that I guess like somebody had cut him off and the motorcyclist went up I to the car that. and started kicking it i saw that yeah. and then he wipes out and the bike exp- you know yeah. explodes and the guys rolling around on the ground like god yeah, damn it you know and he and he, and it's such sweetness because everyone's sort of like done something dumb on the road and then someone gets road rage and it's like what are you doing so you see this guy just get it back yeah. you know so hard yeah, and you so don't hard. get
0: anything out of being retributive to people to that you don't even re-encounter. Like I understand if if a, somebody's messing with you and uh, on the playground, you're gonna see them tomorrow. Then it may, how you interact with them may matter. But on the road, it's gone. you never see the person again. It doesn't even matter. So it's all a waste from a from any kind of utilitarian point of view, pragmatic approach at Absolutely. all. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, the people that I like are people that are into. Physical stuff and mechanics. So we tour the country uh, like in a in a tour bus, basically. And I, my some of the best wisdom that I've ever gotten are from the these some of these very strong, calm men that run diesel mechanic shops. So they work on big trucks and they have all these employees. These guys, I, I, it's, I've had it's happened on at least three or four occasions when I'm talking to these people. It is so pure and pragmatic, in the way they. Methodically look at stuff, and they go through it, and the way they engage their uh, employees and stuff—it's—it's it's unbelievable. I've learned. I know it sounds crazy, but I just I love being—I love working on the butts bus that we have, and seeing the super mechanical things that are done. But there's just so much wisdom there. That I think is is crazy. And one of the things that that came out of that, my favorite mechanic—he—he he is sitting there. He's just full of wisdom. But he, he when people come up to him and. His employees keep coming up to him and saying, "I can't get this screw. I can't figure this out. What do I do here? What do I do here?" And he just kind of face palms. He says, "Your you your job is to bring me solutions, not problems." And I just think that is the exactly the way everybody should think. You your job is to ask the question yourself, solve it, and then bring a solution to your boss. That is a, yeah. that is the best. It's kind of an extreme ownership principle.
1: Yeah the the bring me solutions, not problems mm-hmm. thing is famous and I forget mm-hmm. who said that uh, yeah. let me see bring me solutions
0: it's so clear I, I'm, I'm sure this guy to make it up but it's so effective in that world that you can just see how it how, you know the you know if you just keep going to the boss and you ask him wait how do I change this what do I do with this then you're just robbing him of his time and he figured it out somehow which means you can and you can improve improve yourself and help him all those things are going to just continue to work together for your benefit the principle is is pretty pretty sound I think
1: I, I agree. Yeah, actually, I think speaking of Scott Adams, he's one of the uh, the first results on Bring me solutions, oh, not really? problems. Yeah, it's it, there's also a lot of people who are saying that that itself causes huge amounts of problems. But uh, yeah, it's oh, cri- it, in fact, people critical
0: of that of that statement. You mean? Yeah, being critical of that statement. What yeah. is the pushback on? I'd like to know if you if you see it there.
1: Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Why don't bring me problems, bring me solutions is bad. This is just like the first one that I picked out here. uh t- t- the thing about this is seems good on the surface uh, you create a workplace where people don't want to speak up says oh, uh, t- 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 it, it it while it empowers. Businesses believe the, po- the phrase empowers employees to take initiative, but instead, it teaches them not to speak up about a need unless they have a proposal to fix it. Mm-hmm. When you ask for solutions, you create a culture of advocacy rather than a culture of inquiry. Most creativity, mm-hmm. most innovation happens when somebody points out a
0: problem that has not yet been solved. So, Well, in the go. spirit of extreme ownership, I will take that point. <laughs> maybe that know. is true but i think i can see on a culture level and a, a, a large level if you're reinforcing that but on an individual level i still would think that it applies or has served me well interesting though so in uh i was interested in your conversation with scott adams and persuasion itself if you you, you seem to be really prepared for that conversation you had it, and I was just curious, what is your preparation for? Did you is that do you get people on the show that you're interested in? Or do you get people and then go out and then they do a bunch of research before they come on your show?
1: Um both. A little bit of both. Some people I'm already interested in. Some people I just find, you know, they, they come on the show for some other reason. Mm-hmm. And then I will figure out what's interesting about them. So I, I'll do a lot. I'll read their books if they have more than one. Sometimes I'll read both or or whatever. And I will read their blog post. For Scott Adams, he doesn't have a book. I mean, he does. Actually, I'm sorry. I take it back. He has a book, but it's not new. Mm-hmm. So I, rather than read that, I've read about 50 of
0: his blog posts. And do you do that in the couple of days before they come on or kind of thing like that? Like you yeah, do actual I do hours they of come prep out. per episode? Yeah,
1: yeah, I probably do about 10 hours um, of prep, maybe a little bit less. And I take notes on what I read from them and put those notes in a document. And then before the show, maybe an hour or a day before, I go through those notes and then I ask myself questions that I would have based on those notes. And those go in the notes. And that's what I use to run the the conversation itself.
0: 10 hours of prep you do per episode? Yeah. Did you not do that much prep for, for this show? I told you, I listened to the Scott Adams and you podcast on my way here. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, nice. No, I yeah. do. I do. I like to do prep, but it's, I, I don't have that discipline. I just don't, I'm just, I'm doing too many things. I'm hoping some someone will fail and then I'll def- work harder on the ones that remain. But, uh, I do, I like to prep, but I get back and forth on it. Like sometimes over preparing, I feel like I don't use it or I was stilted or it's not, Natural and those kinds of things. If I over prepare, plus it, you know, there is some time constraint there. But I imagine that you probably reap massive incidental benefits from doing the prep. So that's kind of the trick, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, mean, I definitely learn a lot of stuff
0: prep. all the time. That it, who, who cares yep. if it comes up in the interview? Now you have learned something instead of watch TV. Yeah,
1: yeah. I read, you know, I read two books in preparation for someone's show, and now. Maybe I only get to 15% of the material I got from the book, but I I read the whole book and mm-hmm. picked out the parts that I thought were interesting. So you're so, ultimately yeah, the
0: winner either way. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Now that that is is very that is that is smart. So um, like I said, I'm just interested in how other people do stuff. I'll learn, I'll take a, I'll take some percentages of the things that you do and continue to apply them. But I, I've been listening to your show for a while. But uh, And so I, I, lo- I love that about podcasting is I get to listen to people do a thing and then that's what everybody likes about podcasts. They go, I feel like I'm sitting right there and I could talk to them and I have one. So then I do get to talk to them. So it's just kind of picking up where exactly, the conversation yeah. I Just I enjoy it so much. So it's kind of natural for me. Last thing I want to ask you about is... Uh, do you have a specific approach to? You came from Michigan, I imagine. Went to where did you go to law school? Where was that? Uh, I went to University of Michigan Law School. Okay, and so then when, when, didn't you come out west after that? I mean, you started Art of Charm in Michigan, then.
1: Yeah i I started Art of Charm in Michigan, went out to New York, and then flew out to L A. and now I live in San Jose.
0: What was your approach? Was it deliberate or incidental? The networking or your your reach with people who are your friends or celebrities and stuff like that? I, I mean, you've been doing it so long. Is that more incidental or has that been very intentional to to get to know or network to important or famous people? Um,
1: but it's definitely been... It's funny because I started off doing it like, okay, this is you know something that I got to work at. I got to work at it a lot. I got to figure it out. How do I do this? How do I do this? And then now, though, I realize, well, wait a second. You know, This is exactly the type of thing that that is starting to come naturally. And now I end up with a bunch of my connections because it's like somebody who listens to the show introduces me or I hang out mm. with somebody and I'm like, oh, this person will be really interesting. So I end up with that type of connection that way. But it definitely started with seeking them out mm-hmm. you know, for the show itself, definitely. So you that, use the show, the show
0: as leverage to be able to talk to people and then you know, if you do a good job and they'll, they'll come back and you get other stuff like that. But, so relatively natural, but again... I give you props for that because the whole thing is set up, you know, your whole project here is set up for your own personal development too, which is great. And yeah. we live in this time where people want to learn from other people and it's like, oh, everybody just shares their information, which ultimately helps them anyway. And I think of the human race as a sharing project. I know that's really vague, but that seems like the most important thing we can do is... I mean, the morbid way to look at it is all you do is collect information, then you die and it's gone, right? So, the opposite of that is to share as much as you can about what you can collect, and then it can it will keep on going. And that seems to me to be the human project. And it only seems like in recent years people have figured that out. Like, you learn, you share it, you tell people essentially everything you know, you don't hold it back. And it just keeps on exactly. going. It's just really yeah. neat. So I don't know if that's intentional, but it seems like you've got all these compound effects of, well, I read the books, I do this, and then I learn the stuff, and I get to talk to the person, and I'm looking for pe- important people, but they're also important, and then they also know a lot of stuff, which is why they're important, and then that feeds, you know, it's just a feedback loop on itself. So it seems like you've designed a system, I don't know if fits your entire life or how much you separate work and everything else, but it seems like you've designed a really good system with some good feedback loops.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely been intentional. That part has been intentional, no doubt about it. Um and, and it also has worked out pretty well as a result of that, you know. It's definitely been something that makes sense for something that makes sense for me to to keep
0: doing because mm-hmm. you're right, yeah, it pays dividends. Pays dividends, that's exactly mm-hmm. right. And is your personal life separate from this or does it all blur out to you? Is it all out. just jardines and then okay. So it all blurs yeah. out, yeah, which I think is another essential thing of the feedback. To, yeah. You know, it, it's yeah. it seems a little bit weirder to separate. I have a hard time with that. Although I can understand why people would and do. Mine, mine's pretty blurry as well. But Jordan, I've enjoyed talking to you very much today. This is a great episode. I think my listeners are going to get a ton out of the thinking about the way that you think, and I'm sure they'll come listen to your show. I hope they will all go listen to Art of Charm. They'll find if they like this show at all, they'll love your show. So well, good.
1: Thank, it. thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Appreciate nice it. For the opportunity. All right, Happy we'll fourth. catch you
0: up again soon. Happy Fourth of July. You got it, man. Take care. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com.
2: Shh. Hi, I'm Mike Mowry, president of Outerloop Management. My team and I have been helping our musicians release their albums and EPs to get the biggest first week sales possible, and our strategies work. We consistently get first week debuts on the billboard charts leading to greater opportunities for my clients, great tours, great media coverage, and great industry attention. For the first time ever, I'm going to show you how I do it. Go to outerloopcoaching.com to learn more and register now for Release It Right, my online webinar on July 22nd, or Unleash It Right on July 22nd, as well as July 29th. Put in the code BID. Pod 5 all caps and all one word. And I will give you $5 off the price of either webinar and I will give another $5 to this podcast. So you'll be supporting this show while supporting your own career. Again, go to outerloopcoaching.com and use the code Pod 5 for $5 off, either release it right on July 22nd or unleash it right on July 22nd and 29th. Peace.